for those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Ryan, and I serve as college and online pastor here at Northway. And I am so excited to be able to share with you what I feel God has laid on my heart to share with you. So in 1678, a man by the name of John Bunyan wrote a book titled Pilgrim's Progress. This book is, a, is an allegory of the Christian faith, which means it's a story with a meaning. And it, it follows the life of a pilgrim named Christian who leaves the city of destruction and heads towards the celestial city. The meaning is not too hard. to You don't have to dig too deep into this story to understand what it's trying to tell you. But there comes a point on this journey where Christian and his companion, Hopeful, fall asleep near this castle called Doubt. And this castle of Doubt is ruled by the giant Despair and his wife, Diffidence. Now, Despair is hopelessness. Diffidence means lack of confidence, think insecurity. And so this giant despair goes out and captures Christian and Hopeful and throws them in a dark and gloomy dungeon in the castle of doubt. And day in and day out, despair goes down and he beats Christian and Hopeful mercilessly. He refuses to give them food and water. Day in and day out, he does this. And then he leaves them for the night down in this dark and gloomy cell. And he and his wife, Diffidence, they conspire on what else to do with these two pilgrims. And one day, he actually goes down to the cell, and he beats them, and then he, he actually proposes to them and says, hey, you should just end it now. You should take your own life. It does not get better for you. This is as good as it's going to get for you. This is your reality now. The next day he goes down to see if they had heeded his warning, heeded his advice, found that they had not, so he beat them some more. Eventually he drags them from the cell and shows them all of the bones of the past pilgrims he had destroyed. He says, what makes you think that your fate will be different than theirs? Your fate will be the same as theirs. It is inevitable. And he throws them back in the cell continuing this pattern of beating them day in and day out in this dark and gloomy cell. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever felt that way before? You feel like you've been captured and put in a dark and gloomy place and you find despair just weighing in on you. Maybe you, you've had some sort of life circumstance that's come and just shaken your life to its core and now you just feel hopeless. Or maybe you feel the weight of other people's expectations on what you're supposed to be. Or maybe it's your own expectations over your life of what you're supposed to be. And you realize you can't live up to that. And you feel hopeless. You feel trapped in despair. My guess is that many of you have felt that before. Many of you have been there before. In fact, some of you are probably there right now. You feel the weight of despair. You feel the, him saying that there's, there's no good for you coming. This is your reality. It does not get better for you. You are hopeless. And, and for some of you, this happened long before coronavirus. It was long before 2020 ever happened. You felt hopeless. You felt in despair. And then 2020 came with all that, that comes with it, with the coronavirus and political tensions and maybe some life circumstances, and it's left you feeling even more hopeless. 
It's thrown gas on the flames. The places where you didn't think it would get darker, it's gotten darker. Where you felt like maybe you couldn't feel any more pain than you already do, it's gotten more painful. You feel hopeless. For others of you, maybe you were good before 2020 came, and then 2020 came, and then there you are right now. You feel in despair. You feel hopeless. And what happens is we have this defeated mentality. We let it creep into our hearts. This hopelessness grabs hold of our hearts. And then our thoughts and our words and our actions all come from this place of hopelessness. Our thoughts become dark and gloomy. They feel, become pessimistic and negative. A, a seed of a dark thought enters into our minds and then we begin to spiral into extremes. We start dwelling on our past failures, our past mistakes. We start comparing ourselves to other people saying, I will never be what they are. There's a lack of joy in my heart, a lack of of happiness. Things that used to bring me happiness no longer bring me joy. There's a lack of peace. I feel fearful. I feel anxious. I feel uncertain. I feel like small things just bring extreme emotions out of me that they never used to before. Or maybe the flip side is true, where it's not that you're extremely emotional, it's that you feel just numb to everything. You just feel like there's nothing good that is coming, nothing to look forward to. And what happens are your thoughts then get, uh, they translate into your words and your language and how you speak. And your words become hopeless. You start speaking negatively. You start speaking pessimistically. You start, start criticizing things and complaining about so many different things. You start verbally comparing yourself to other people. You, you start speaking with no joy in your heart, no joy in life, in your words. You start self-deprecating. And then eventually what also happens is it plays out in your life, in your actions, where you start making reckless life choices that you never would have made before. You have an apathetic attitude. It's hard for you to even get out of bed at times. Maybe it translates into substance abuse of some kind. You have this paralysis of fear and anxiety. It comes out with how you treat other people, how you, how you speak to them. And it comes out in some extreme outward emotions. Have you been there before? Are you there right now? If you have been or you are there now, you are not alone. In in my job, I I talk to a, a lot of students who struggle with this. They struggle with anxiety. They struggle with depression. They struggle with hopelessness. But let me tell you, this is not unique to students. This is a culture thing. This is prevalent all in our culture. We have a culture of despair and of hopelessness, and you can see it in things like anxiety and depression on the rise. And perhaps the most telling statistic of all from the National Institute of Mental Health, it says that from 1999 to 2018, suicide rate, the taking your own life, that rate has increased by a measure of 35%. They're the ultimate display of despair and of hopelessness that is, is saturating our culture, is continuing to rise. And I don't know if you caught that, but that's before 2020 happened. That's before people have been trapped in their homes, before the job insecurity, before the market insecurity, before the political tensions, before personal life struggles that have come this year. 
Suicide has been on the rise. Hopelessness, despair is on the rise in the culture. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how do we fight this despair? How do we fight hopelessness? And so since we're talking about this idea of hope and hopelessness, we have to have a baseline definition for what it is because it's a term that we use all the time but we rarely define. Hope is the marriage of longing and expectation. Hope is the marriage of longing and expectation. It's both desire and confidence. You have to have both of it for it to be hope. See, you can't just long for something or have a desire for something and call it hope. See, I have a desire, a longing to be good enough at golf to make it on the PGA Tour. But guess what? You wouldn't say that's hope because there's no chance that's going to happen. There's no expectations there. There's no confidence in me. So it's not hope. And it's the same the other way around. Just because you have expectation does not mean it's hope. I hate storms. I really, really hate tornadoes. They, they really scare me. But I have an expectation, a, a belief, a level of confidence that there will be a point in my life where wherever I am is under some sort of tornado warning. But you wouldn't say I hope for that because I have no desire or longing for it. See, hope is both longing and expectation. It's desire and confidence. You need them both. Now, and I also want to be clear for our time this morning, I'm not talking about the day-to-day acts of hope, like the small-scale things. I'm not talking about you go to Chick-fil-A and hope that your meal is hot, hope that there's salt on the fries. I'm not talking about the small-scale demonstrations of hope. I'm talking about your ultimate hope, the thing that you have, contains all of your desires, all of your longing, that contains all of your confidence and expectations, the thing that you're putting your ultimate hope in. So a fair question for us to ask then is, okay, if, if hopelessness and despair is so prevalent in our culture, if so many of us are battling it, why? Why does this happen? What's the source? What's the reason? And ultimately what it boils down to is we all put our hope in inadequate sources of hope. We put our hope in things that are not meant to bear the weight of our full hope. When I was younger, I was playing with one of our neighborhood friends, and we got a Frisbee stuck on the roof because that's what happens when you play with a Frisbee. It never goes where you want it to go. It was on the roof, and we trying to figure out how to get it down without telling our parents. And so since he was older, he had the bright idea of getting this plastic chair that we had out in the yard, which is a good chair. It works. And so he sets it down next to the house. And some of you parents know what is exactly about to happen. And he gets up in this uh, chair with a pool noodle, I think it was. And he starts hitting on top of the roof, trying to get this Frisbee down. And the leg buckled and he fell and he bit through his lip and there were stitches and a hospital visit and all that. Now, was there an issue with the chair? No, it was a good chair. You can sit in it. That's what it's designed for. It was not designed to take the weight of him standing in it and shaking on top of it. That's not what it was designed for, and so it buckled underneath him. See, we try to put our hope in things that were never meant or designed to carry the weight of our hope, and they buckle underneath us and leave us hopeless. There's a bunch of different ways this plays out, a bunch of different things we put our hope in, but here are some of the the more common ways that we do this. One is we put our hope in our wealth. We put our hope in, in money. We, we say that if I can have money, if I can gain some wealth, I can have some security, I can have some comfort. It brings us hope. 
But the issue with this is, as we all know, is money can be taken away at the drop of a hat. We can lose our money. It, it can be taken away from us. We, we, uh, we never have enough of it either. That we know this from the richest people. You see them, it's never enough. It never satisfies their hearts. And then also, just practically speaking, what Ecclesiastes will tell us is that at some point when you die, you don't get to take it with you. And so someone else is going to enjoy all this money that you've acquired. See, it's not enough to hold the weight of our hope. Sometimes we put this in our morality, our good deeds. We say, if I can meet this standard of living, then, then I will be good. I will be satisfied. But what we find is that doesn't bear the weight of our hope because we can never even live up to our own standards of morality. We're never quite good enough. Sometimes we put it in success, whether it be if you're a student in academics, making good grades, or in your job, climbing the ladder. You're trying to get to the top. We put our hope in that success. But quite frankly, there's always going to be someone who's more successful than you are. And we can lose that success, again, at the drop of a hat. And when the success is gone, when it crumbles underneath you, guess what? So is your hope. You're left feeling hopeless. Sometimes we put this in another person. We find our hope in some relationship, whether it be a significant other, like a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whether it be a friendship, family member, maybe our kids. We, we put the full, our full hope, our longing, our expectation on another human being. But guess what? Human beings are flawed. They will fail you. And when they fail you, your hope will crumble. And then, heaven forbid, you lose that relationship or they pass away and you lose the person. And then again, you're left completely hopeless because your hope was all in that person. For some people, you put it in your health, you feel invincible, you feel strong, especially some of you younger people. But again, it's fickle. It can be taken away. You see young 20-something-year-olds diagnosed with terminal cancer. It can be stripped away at a second. Sometimes we put it in just pleasure, saying, hey, I just want to live and be happy. My hope is being happy. But guess what? Happiness comes and goes. And when we find something that makes us happy, it doesn't ever truly satisfy us. So we're left chasing that happiness over and over again. And when that happiness goes, we're left broken. Ultimately, what happens when our thing that we put our hope in crumbles, so do we. So the solution to fighting despair, to fighting hopelessness is, is we have to find something that can bear the full weight of our hope. We have to find the, the thing that we can place all of our hopes in, and it will never crumble and leave us hopeless. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, keying in on that verse. And in Romans 15, leading up to this verse, we have Paul talking about unity in the church, unity among the brothers and sisters of Christ. And specifically, he's speaking about the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles having unity among them. And this verse, what he's doing is saying that both Jews and Gentiles alike have a common hope that they can unite underneath. And so we're going to break apart this verse. I want to just take us through it bit by bit. And so let's start off reading. Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope, may the God of hope, that is a defining characteristic of who God is. That it, he is the source of hope. That is in his very nature. He is something that can sustain the very weight of our hopes and our desires because he is the source of all hope. 
says, may the God of hope fill you. So the, the picture here is that we're empty, that there's a void in us. See, the reason why we try to place our, our hope in all those different things that we talked about, wealth, morality, other people, is because there's a void, there's something missing in us. In Ecclesiastes, it's going to tell us that God has set eternity in our hearts. There's a vacuum in our hearts, and we try to fill it with different things. But it says here that God will fill us himself. With what? Fill you with all joy and peace. Fill you with all joy and peace. So what it was saying there, joy. Joy is a word that we throw around a lot. Peace is where we throw around a lot. So what does that mean? Joy is a deep-rooted delight, a deep-rooted happiness that's not shaken by external circumstances. It's, it's like being happy, but it's, it's not. It's much deeper than that. And then peace is the same kind of thing. It's a deep-rooted tranquility, a certainty, a confidence in your heart that's not shaken by external circumstances. When you feel hopeless, you have such a lack of joy. When you feel hopeless, you have a lack of peace. There's this anxiety that creeps in, this fear that creeps in. But what it says here, that the God of hope will fill you with all joy, all peace. It's unshakable. It can't be taken away from you. So then we have to say, okay, how? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. Some of your versions will say in trusting or through trusting. So we say God fills us with joy and with peace by how? how? By believing, by trusting. Well, what do we believe? What do we trust so that we can be filled with this joy and with this peace? We trust in God. We trust in his promises. In Pilgrim's Progress, there was a night where hopeful and Christian are trapped in this cell and they spend the entire night praying. They spend the entire night on their knees praying out to God. And the next morning, Christian suddenly remembers that next to his heart is a key called promise. And he says, surely this key will set us free. And sure enough, the key set them free from the dungeon, free from the castle, and they went along their way, leaving the reign of despair and diffidence behind them. See, the key was the promise. The promises of God is our key to fighting despair, to fighting hopelessness. And we actually see this in verses 8 and 9 of Romans 15. It says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to what? Confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now the patriarchs, think way back what those promises were back in Genesis. God chose this man named Abraham. And to Abraham, he says, hey, through you, all of the world will be blessed. Through your descendant, the whole world will be blessed. Fast forward to David, you know, the one that killed Goliath when he was king. God extended a promise to him, said, hey, through your descendant, your descendant will always remain on the throne. He will always rule. And then you see this promise also continued out through the prophets of Israel. When the Israelites were in exile, there's this promise that God will raise a Messiah, the anointed one, to come and set his people free and would rule the people, liberate them from their oppression. And so what we see in this verse, it says that Christ became a servant to confirm these promises. Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, is the one through which 
that confirms the promises of the Old Testament. See, we are truly hopeless. As mankind, we are hopeless. We are in despair. We have sinned against God and we deserve the wrath of God. We are completely hopeless in and of ourselves. But while we were still sinners, while we were his enemy, Christ came. He humbled himself to even to the point of death on a cross. And he does not stay dead. He arose with a victory and a promise saying that if we believe and trust in him, then we are redeemed. We are set free. We are no longer hopeless and in despair. We have hope. We have life. He is the confirmation of the promises of the Old Testament. And also, not only is the, the, those, that confirmation, he's the confirmation of all the promises of God. What we find in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says that for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that through the promises of God, or through Jesus, the promises of God find yes. In in previous verses, he was talking about being yes and no, about being wishy-washy. He says the promises of God In Jesus, they are not wishy-washy. They are not yes and no. They are yes. They are confirmed. They are steady. They are unshaken. They cannot be taken away. They are forever. You can trust the promises of God because of Jesus. They're confirmed in who he is and what he did on the cross. In Jesus, we have our victory. We are not defeated. We have ultimate hope. Hope that there will be a day where we can dwell with him forever, that though we are sinners, we are forgiven, we are redeemed. That is our ultimate hope for the future. And it also plays into now. It it helps us endure suffering and hard times now. It helps us persevere and push through because we know that there will be a day where we will dwell with our Lord is a future hope that impacts now. But it's not just this ultimate hope. We also have the hope of the many promises of God. And these promises of God are not just for some distant day in the future. They're for right now. God promises that he will be near to us. In fact, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. God is with us at all times. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He promises that 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 he is with us and that he's working for our good, that he's in control of all things, that no matter what we go through, it's not outside of his plan. It's not outside of his control. He promises to bring comfort to us in our difficult times. He's the God of all comfort. He promises to bring peace amidst the storm, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Those are all promises for now that were secured and confirmed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ is our ultimate hope, and he is our daily hope as well. And what we find is that as we believe and trust and are filled with all joy and peace, it says that so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The result of being filled with joy, filled with the peace of God, that through his power, it says we abound in hope. It doesn't say you have some hope here and there. It doesn't say that you, you kind of get through it. It says that you abound. 
There's an abundance of hope. It's an overflowing amount of hope that we have. Belief and trust in God and in his promises through Jesus is the key to us fighting despair, fighting hopelessness. Now, I want to be very careful and very clear here. What scripture is not teaching is that you are no longer allowed to mourn or grieve or be brokenhearted. God does not promise that. In fact, Jesus promises and he says, in this life, you will have trouble. And there are some of you here that you are going through some unmentionable, very difficult, very heartbreaking things. And I just want to be clear that hope is not saying that you cannot or you should not mourn, or you cannot, or you should not be heartbroken. But what hope does say is that your mourning will not last forever. Hope says that there will be a day when your Lord Jesus Christ returns and he wipes away every single tear from your eyes. There there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. Hope says that, yes, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hope says that, yes, you're in a difficult storm, but know that I am with you in it and I am sovereign over it. Hope says that even though I don't fully understand and may not in this life ever understand why I'm going through this suffering, I know that not a single one of my tears has dropped in vain because there is purpose because my God is working in it. That's what hope says. There is victory in Jesus. And so we don't have to have this mentality of defeat. We have this mentality of victory. And so how do we fight despair? With the hope of Christ. How do we have the hope of Christ? Through believing and trusting. So then this raises the question just on a practical level. Okay, how can we believe and trust more? Because if you're like me, that's not always easy. There are times where you know the right answers. You know the Sunday school right answer that you're supposed to say. But in your heart, you are struggling to believe. You're struggling to trust the promises of God. You're struggling to trust him. So on a practical level, how can we grow our belief? How can we grow our trust? Well, I'm going to give you two things. One is we observe. We observe the character and the nature of our God. Observe what he is like. When my wife Sarah and I first got married, she's a pretty artistic person. She likes calligraphy, likes lettering, all that stuff. And she'd always lay her stuff out in the middle of the living room. And she'd always grab a Sharpie or some kind of permanent marker or some kind of paint. And she just starts going. She never traced anything. And it stressed me out. I saw her going and I'm like, hey, don't you want to trace this out? And she's like, no, I'll be fine. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're stressing me out. And then it also never failed that she'd start going. And the way her design started, I'm like, I don't know if that's going to look good. I don't think that's going to look great. And being naive and a newlywed, not really knowing all the wisdom of a husband, I said, hey, I don't think that's going to look good. And she would look at me and she said, Ryan, just chill out. I've got this. And every single time it would be done and it would be perfectly aligned and it would be beautiful. And I would be just in awe and jealous all at the same time. And so what happens now when she starts a project and she grabs that Sharpie, do you think I stress? No. When it starts to look look like I don't really think it's going to look good, do you think I stress or say anything? No. Because I know from her past accomplishments, 
from seeing how she works, seeing how skilled she is, how this gift works in her, I trust it because I've seen it. It's the same picture of God as if we observe his character, observe his nature, observe his faithfulness, it leads us to trust all the more. So how can you observe God? You study his word. You spend time in his scripture. His character and his nature is laced all throughout his written down word for us. And so spend time in his word. Even when you don't feel like it, make yourself read it. Say, God, teach me through this. Teach me about your character. Teach me about your nature. You spend time in his word. Surround yourself with the people of God. Spend time with the body of Christ. And as you spend time with the body of Christ, you begin to see other elements of God's character, other elements of God's nature. You have people around you encouraging you and strengthening you. Do it in a corporate level like this. Do it in a small group like a home team. Have small accountability partners with you to walk through life with. Surround yourself with the people of God. Spend time praying to God. And I mean being honest with him. I think sometimes we're scared to honestly pray to God and honestly tell him what's really on our hearts and what's really on our minds. But if you look through the Psalms and watch how David prayed, David lays it all out there. He, he lays it all out to God. And so do that with God. Get honest with him. One of the most encouraging pieces of scripture for me in my walk, in my life, when I'm battling doubt, when I'm bat- struggling to trust and believe, is when this man comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his child. And Jesus says, hey, if you believe, it will be done. And the man says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that prayer has been so huge for me. saying, God, I believe, help my heart believe, Lord. I need you to help me believe. I need you to help me to trust you. And so maybe that's how you observe God's character. You lay it all out there before him. Make markers of his past faithfulness. For some of you who like to journal, write, keep a journal of your prayers and what you're asking of God, of difficult things you're going through in life. And then when God answers it, write that down too. Or maybe it's a note on your phone. And then when you're struggling with this belief, struggling with believing, struggling with trusting, go back and see how he's been faithful in the past and let that encourage your trust and your belief now. So observe his character, observe his nature. And then lastly, obey, follow in obedience. When I was younger, I went to a rock climbing place for my buddy's birthday party. And I'm not a big person on heights, don't love them. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but still not my favorite thing. And we got up on this rock wall, and they had you harnessed in. And in the past ones I'd been to, they had harnessed it to the rock wall itself. But this time it was harnessed to a person. And so you climb up this wall, and you're like 20 feet up, 30 feet up. It feels like a mile high. And they say, okay, just let go. Just fall backwards. I was like, no, you're kidding me. There's no way I'm doing that. And after some convincing, they kept saying, Ryan, you've got to push off. You've got to let go. And eventually, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to do it. If I fall to my death, that's your fault. And so I let go, fall back, and guess what? Came down gently. So the next time I went up there, it took less convincing. And then the next time, I just was going. And by the end of it, we were just running up this wall and then flailing off of it because we had complete trust that they were going to hold us this whole time. That's the picture of what obedience does for us when we trust in the Lord. When we walk in his commands... Even when it's hard, even when we don't understand, when we follow in obediently to the Lord, it builds our belief. It builds our trust. 
And, and as you love his people and serve other people, it encourages your faith and your belief. As you follow and obey his commands and you have hard conversations with people and step out on faith in boldness, you are strengthened in your belief, strengthened in your trust. And as your belief and your trust grow, so will your joy and so will your peace and then so will your hope. You will fight despair through trusting and believing. And so I just want to close with this. There is no hope apart from Christ. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, you are hopeless. You are in despair. Anything you try and put your hope in, it will leave you empty. You will be crushed when that hope is crushed. It will not give you joy. It will not give you peace. And so apart from Christ, if that is where you are, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, currently you are hopeless. But the beauty of Romans 15 is what Paul is saying is that this hope is for anyone who wants it. This is for the Jew and the Gentile alike. This is for all people who will put their faith and trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross and why he came. You will have victory in Christ. That his victory is your victory. You are not hopeless. You can abound in hope. And so for maybe for you today, maybe that's your, your choice today. Maybe that's, that's your step is to put your faith and your hope in Jesus for the first time ever. For others, others of you in here, you are followers of Christ. You have put your faith and trust in Jesus. But what is so easy for us to do is we find our hope in other things. We ended up finding ourselves like Christian and hopeful, locked in a dungeon, in a dark cell, being weighed down and beaten by despair. We feel like there's nothing good coming our way. We forget the hope that we have. We are anxious, we're depressed, and we're completely and utterly feeling hopeless and in despair. I want you to hear this. Hear me say this, believer, who feels that way. You are not hopeless. You are not hopeless. You don't have to live and speak and act and think from a place of hopelessness. You are not defeated. Your victory was won and secured on the cross of Christ. Trust in that. Find your hope in Christ. Believe in the promises of God. Be encouraged by the promises of God for the future hope that you'll have one day and the current hope that the promises bring. Believe in that. Observe the character and the nature of God. Follow in obedience. Allow your faith and your trust to grow. And as it grows, be filled with peace beyond understanding, with the joy that you can't even comprehend. And as your peace and joy fills your heart, live from a place abounding in hope because you are not defeated. You have victory in Christ.